Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Fix it! You know what I'm talking about, America. Fix it. <laughs> That's okay. really all that needs to be said. It's all we're going to say. Anyway, also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. I, uh, I support that message. Mm-hmm. Joining us all the way from Arkansas, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Step one, Fix. Yes. Step two, it. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, we started out with uh, yelling, <laughs> vague, threatening allusions, and 10-year-old Saturday Night Live references. <laughs> yep, we right. are already operating at a very high say-that level. Absolutely. Fix it. Yes. Fix it. Yes. Well, speaking of fixing it, oftentimes the first step to fixing it is understanding the problem. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about the problem of... Uh, the Christian dating on this show. Mm. And uh, our contribution to that is the complaining and the mocking. Right. Right. Well, but we have now had someone bring some science into the situation. Oh, I love science. Science. That's right. Our friend Jenny from New Zealand has written in with a say that emergency. Whoa. If they're in New Zealand and she declares an emergency like, how does that work with hemispheres? The emergency spins the other way. Ah. Yeah. Well, Glenn, do you feel like you can declare the emergency? Well, uh, I, first of all, I haven't seen the details, so I'm not sure it's Oh, an I emergency. think you have. Yeah, that's not going to hold up in a couple minutes when we're all reading off the PDF I emailed around. I declare an emergency! There we go. Is it a continuity emergency? <laughs> we're, the, we're the only podcast with continuity problems. Yeah. See, what I like to do is when I'm a corner, just change the subject. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I learned that from watching the TV. That's good. That's I right. like that. All right. Well, Jenny writes in and says, hey, say that, team. We all know Christian dating is broken. Yes. Yes, yes we, we do. do. Yeah, yeah. But now I have the hard data to back it up. Boom. Boom. You've really been dumb. dated. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's so, a little work. <laughs> that's right. So Jenny was working a uh, bunch a event where a bunch of young adults, small groups, combined to form a discussion panel. So in order to understand the severity of the problem, she set up a Survey Monkey page about t- to poll the people who are coming. So I had a okay. Little... I, now I did, I have a problem right there mm. because if you want to know about dating. It makes no sense to ask monkeys about that. Sure, sure. <laughs> they got a whole different opinion about all sure. of that. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's uh, you know. That protest is noted. Okay. So she sets up the survey monkey, and according to Jenny, and I agree, the data is pretty enlightening. Whoa. Is that provocative? Gets people going. I guarantee you we can make it such. Okay. So let's, let's walk through this, and I, I'm just going to start reading some numbers. I have a feeling commentary is going to arise so question number one if i liked someone but i don't know them very well i would these are there so there's four options for response and then a certain percentage of both males and females picked so first option instant message them winky emojis will convey my heart yeah which we were talking about this before (laughs) we went on the show one of the things we very much enjoyed from miss jenny and we've experienced this with several other listeners and super fans is um 
we we have been an influence, yeah. right? Not in the most positive way. No, sure. no. But when no. you write snarky things into your church survey, yeah, that's pretty good super fanning. It, right it there. makes you feel like you're setting up a legacy for sure. future generations. Absolutely, <laughs> a legacy of snark. <laughs> yeah. Glenn refers to things like that as striking a blow for freedom. That's right. I have to go to this place, but I'm going to write a snarky thing on my name tag, even though I'm speaking. Right. Striking a blow for freedom. That's so, right. Instant messaging, winky emojis will convey my heart. Uh, females, 11% pick that pick that option. Okay. okay. Males, 18%. That is not a surprise. Uh, right. All right. Option two, if I like someone, but I didn't know them very well, I would. Turn up to events where they will be. Maybe we'll just, maybe we'll talk. Maybe they'll just gaze in my direction. <laughs> that's a sad option. Well. <laughs> I hope no one took that option. That's the most popular option. Girls, oh, 48% uh, of them choosing that. Boys, 44%. Okay. 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 My, this is the best and most off, honest option. If I like someone and I didn't know them very well, I would do nothing. I don't want to appear needy. Sure. 30% uh, of girls, uh, 24% of guys. The final one, the crazy one, the you know when you take like a multiple choice test in school, right. they would tell you there's always one that's like you know it's, it's always like you know, you know write what's, it off immediately. What's, yeah, what's the square root of three? And one of the options is banana, and you just right, you know right. it's not that one, so you can whittle it down. This is this is the crazy out there least uh, percentage getting one. Ask them out to get to know them better. Yeah, one oh. percent of girls, fifteen percent of guys. Less uh, the same amount number of girls and less dudes than who would do instant messaging. Okay, I have several things. Please. First of all, okay. here's what I'm saying, babies. Yes. How are you going to make babies if you don't, you know what I mean? Well, Glenn, there have been recent advances in no. the sciences that allow all kinds of things to be possible. <laughs> no, to before. both sides of this. <laughs> but 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 keep going. I, I have other objections, but Is we're going to. Gonna... Uh, question number two. <laughs> if someone liked me, but I didn't know them very well and have no feelings for them, at least at the moment, I'd prefer if. Option one, they instant messaged me with lots of emojis. Girls, 9%. Guys, 12%. Huh. Two, they turn up places where I'll be and stand in my field of view. <laughs> Girls, 48% of whom said that would be their strategy. Uh. Only 20% of them would want someone to do that. Okay. Guys, 44% of whom said that would be their strategy. Only 3% think that's what someone <laughs> who likes them should do. Okay. Huh, so we're there's a, that's what you call a conundrum. Yes. <laughs> yes. The most popular answer for if someone liked me, but I didn't know them very well, what would I like them to do is let me know. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there isn't, but we can start the conversation. 51% of girls, 71% of guys. Huh. Again, we huh. go back to the 11 so, and 15, yeah. who that's what they would do. Yeah. So I'm noticing a logical problem. Y'all, y'all, it's like Jesus said, do unto others what is easiest for you. It's just like that. That's this, the golden rule, y'all. This, this you is... could get a very large church <laughs> preaching that kind of stuff. Okay, first of all, I'm announcing a war on facts. Okay, uh, what, You're not starting that. You can continue this, the war on facts this if you'd is, like. This is, he's trying to come with facts. And you know, I have a problem with facts. Okay. That's well documented. And I'll tell you what my problem is. Facts bum me out. Sure. They keep saying Some things. of the bums you out can't possibly be true. That's the point. Do you feel like these numbers are skewed, Glenn? I think these numbers are skewed because uh, I I won this survey. But according to Glenn, you're several, not uh, you're not mentioned in the survey. No, I, I won it. Is that because you're just a winner? Everybody's saying that. Really? Pe- Can you mention been, some people specifically? Did you, did you win the, the the instant internet reaction polls? Well, you, you see, I wasn't prepared for you to actually ask me. Sure. Who the people were? Specifically. I, th- I thought I could just say people are saying, right? And then you would just well, you're a person and you're saying it, right? So sure, that, you yeah. technically said it. 
I mean, you were just repeating what he said, but you said the words, so that's people. Right, right. so that's yeah. people. People, okay. people are saying it. Okay, that's good. But you, right. you won, though, the dating survey. Yes. Okay. Tremendously. Believe well, me. Tremendous. 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 Well, uh, let, let's, let's really skip to the crux of the situation here. There's Wrong. Sorry, I just... I think, I think the word you're looking for is sad. Yeah, okay. Sad. That's good. Was my read too low energy? <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. I envy anyone who doesn't get these jokes. All right, moving on. <laughs> Number five, who should make the first move? Okay. Uh, the uh, person who has the feelings, right? Not an option. Okay. The gir- 47% <laughs> nice. of girls think the guy should make the first move. 22% of guys feel that's the way it should go. Uh, only 4% of girls think... The girl, the gu- the girl should make the first move. Sixteen percent of guys, and uh, the most popular answer with 49 percent of the ladies and sixty two percent of the guys is either could. It's the twenty first century, which uh-huh. the second part of that is undeniable. Sure, it is. And here's what century. I wonder: Would that have scored higher if everybody knew what century it was? <laughs> People think either could, but we're living in the twenty second century, so this sure. is a gotcha right. survey question. Sure, right. We know the beautiful thing about a reality where either can could right. is, I mean, you know, who's to say? Right. There's a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what have you. Right. I mean, you know, is is not is, on me. Is there is there a question on here or an option? Are you a big fat chicken? I think it's implied <laughs> strongly. <laughs> and that see. goes and that goes to number six. Who would you prefer? Uh-huh. Make the first move. So to Jed's point, in the first one, we had a universe of possibilities and a multiverse right. unfolding before right. us. Hey, yeah. Infinite ma- options. Ma- make note of the century. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Six, who would you prefer make the first move? Uh, 93% of girls and 66% of guys would prefer the guy make the first move. Seven and 34 for the girl. So here's what we have. If I could uh, if I could put on my Nate Silver hat here and Please synthesize do. some data. Please. Um we got a lot of people who wish someone else would ask them out. Yeah. Wow. And don't really see their point in that. Lee, you work with the children. Help us shed some light. Here's the other thing, too. I think we all probably noticed this. In the very first survey question, they had a a, a comfy little place for the chicken Christian to run and hide, which is... I don't want to seem. What, could you give me the exact wording? I don't want to seem too needy. Yes, I can. Needy, needy. That's what it was. That yeah. see, that's a very comfy place for the Christian young person who is a big fat chicken doesn't want to admit it to to run and hide. Is yeah. I don't want to seem too needy because you know all I really need is me and Jesus. So right. it's righteous, you know, for me to not have to work this out on my own. Right. Just remember what Mahatma Gandhi said, be the date you wish to see in the world. That's how we're all going to move forward. Did he say that? Yeah, something very close to that. One quick bonus thought, you are needy. In fact, that's actually the foundational truth of the Christian faith, is that you are a big pile of need. Right. Uh, (laughs) if, If you were to boil down what the gospel says, you have needs. Right. We... We, it's fine. We start there. In fact, the very first book in the Bible, before sin had entered the picture, the one thing God commented on as not being good is you being alone. Right. He saw the man and said, lo, it is not good for him to be alone. Right. That was before sin had entered the picture. Right. You are a huge pile of need, and so am I. That is right. the foundational truth of your faith. Nothing's wrong with the world yet, and this dude still can't hack it by himself. Yes. He needs help. That's in the Bible. 
So. Now, before the children go out there and start cutting out their own ribs, <laughs> the, the Genesis story is not a one-to-one dating guy. <laughs> we don't want to get too lost in the analogy. We don't want to get too specific. That, a lot of uh, passing out in the dirt and just hoping something happens. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... Uh, but here's the thing. Think of the babies. Think of the babies. At some point, you got to try something. Yep. That's the point. Otherwise, and we've done this before, Glenn will come to your church lock you in a room, and make you couple skate. I yeah. will do that. And yeah. you know what? You'll thank me. I have a disco ball and everything. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you, 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 what you do is you build a wall. Absolutely. Yeah, and then they put them inside the wall. Absolutely. And then Make them pay for it. Sure, right. yeah, you make, you make the singles pastor pay and for it. I absolutely right. promise you, and this is like, not, I'm not even making this up. Right now, Glenn has a playlist that would be the bomb for that couple. You know, I I actually do. I actually do. I could pull up my phone right now. I have the perfect mix for that. That's how we make babies. Well, maybe on that. You were very insistent that you had to declare the emergency. Right. So Uh, maybe there's something you want to declare now. No, I'm I'm good. Okay. You are unprepared. (laughs) You are critically and historically unprepared for the job of emergency declarer. I just love that I'm ignoring the, all the hand signals to yeah. tell me to wrap it up. <laughs> On that basis, I declare, you know, the emergency off. Sure. Well, to the point that we were closing with there, music is a powerful thing. It it's really a, is. It sets a mood. It can help mm-hmm. you on. I, I remember once I was in a, uh, a restaurant here in uh, the Greater Chicagoland area uh, in a deli waiting for my sandwich order in a long line when uh, Marvin Gaye's sexual healing came on <laughs> over the... Over, and you've never seen a room full of white people get so immediately uncomfortable. <laughs> and just yeah. everybody's looking for something that's not eye contact. Right, right. Just ceiling tiles, looking down at the salad, just... Because music's a powerful thing. You don't want anything right. to pop off. That's right. And that's why we craft custom music for Bridgebox oh. every month. Because music can be a powerful thing and help people move forward. Let's say this And it week, heals them sexually. I yes, see what you're saying. exactly right. Certain tracks, almost certainly. Yes. Everybody's into something different. If, <laughs> say, for example, this month, you you wanted a little a little encouragement, a little... Uh, a little teaching, a little bit to get a little fired up to go out and change the world. Mm-hmm. Wonder if you can do that. That's what our whole bridge box is about. You got uh, hip hop songs. You got new uh, worship songs written by Lee. You've got uh, some great stuff. A uh, remix sermon from one of our favorite bridge pastors from the North Side of Chicago. All about how you can change the world and a lot of cool stuff, sermons, all sorts of good stuff in there. So if you want to get awesome stuff like that in your inbox every month, missionusa.com slash bridgebox, only $8 a month, and it helps us do really cool stuff like hire part-time employees. If you get Bridgebox this month, you'll also uh, see a little backstory of our deacons division, part-time employees, men and women who are products of the ministry who help us do a lot of cool stuff on Tuesdays at our bridge service, and we can only hire them because of our Bridgebox supporters, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have a question for us, hang on with us all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. This comes in from our friend James in Colorado who says, uh, you may remember uh, recently James wrote in about starting some volunteer prison ministry. So he's got a question based on that. He says, there's a guy who comes to our prison ministry meeting regularly and is always enthusiastic. The other week he told me he doesn't read the Bible much, but he really likes reading insert popular fairly prosperity gospel preacher names here 
No, we don't, you know, we don't want to call anybody out. So, but really popular Christian books by people you've heard of. I don't want to be discouraging in the moment. So I just told him that reading the Bible is good too. I don't actually know enough about either of these celebrity pastors to address the issues there directly. In the future, how do I discourage problematic teachers while still affirming the person's spiritual interest? And Glenn, you've got a lot of experience in prison ministry. You've seen a lot of people on well-meaning but not great ideas. So mm. what do we say to those? Well, yeah, I think uh, first and foremost, it's Im- important to recognize uh, if you haven't earned the right to be heard with this particular group of people, it's tough to get in there and start telling them what's the deal. Absolutely right. And on a practical level, can you break down real quick earning the right to be heard on us? For sure. Uh, the idea is uh, you have to establish uh, a, a relationship with a person to where they ha- they can put what you're saying in context as you know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, and that you care about them on a and personal That's almost level. The, the the primary part, and the know what you're talking about kind of right. follows that. Yeah, the the idea of uh, just some random dude wandering in here telling me I'm wrong about everything mm-hmm. it does not work. Mm-hmm. The problem, the reason why it's worth pointing all of that out is that the message that cultural Christianity gives us is that we're supposed to contend for the faith. Sure, I love contending. Love that phrase. Uh, I love that people could hear the air quotes Glenn was doing. That's yeah. how hard he was making them. I mean, contend, <laughs> contend. We just want y'all to contend, y'all. Here's the thing. Nobody who has ever talked to an unsaved person and led them to the Lord and and discipled them through the you know some primary growth in their walk has ever used the phrase contend for the faith. Yeah. <laughs> That's language that when you hear it, you know this dude has only ever talked to other Christians about Christianity. So, uh we use the phrase earning the right to be heard to 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 recognize that you have to establish some sort of rapport, some sort of relationship where you're showing them that you care and that you have a sense of what it is that you're talking about yeah. before you can get to that place. Uh the second key thing you hear us say on this podcast occasionally is the idea to, that we need to play for time. So the idea mm-hmm. with that is if you um, take the attitude of, I hear something wrong now, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say something to counteract that now mm-hmm. so that person will believe the right thing now, uh, what you end up doing is getting into lots of really bad ministry technique and yeah. lots of... Um, uh, stuff that borders on being rude, uh, borders on speaking out of turn. Manipulation. Manipulation, for sure, gets in there. We have to figure out a way to get our, out from underneath that. And, uh, uh, most of the ministry situations I'm in, I am presented with this Gordian knot of unfixable, yeah. you know, just there's no solution to this. Uh, so rather than try and change that channel that that person's on and confront them and say, you are wrong to be reading this book, it's much more important for me to say, let me tell you a few things about the faith that I have learned and that I've dealt with and so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm sort of taking them out of the, the world that they're in and giving them a wider perspective, a more broader perspective. And by doing that, I am essentially preaching to that person right. who's uh, going to sort of hit the wall with this thing that they believe in yeah. now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm, pre- I'm not preaching to the present situation. I'm preaching to a future dynamic where this person's going to be reading this book and they're going to be saying, well, I, you know, the, wait a second, this doesn't jive with what Glenn said at, at chapel a couple of weeks ago, that kind of thing. 
I think that I would I would button it with this idea. Here's the thing: is we have to to try and figure out a way uh, to recognize that um, uh, that when we plant that seed of truth, it doesn't bear ground right away. That that it takes time to take root, but that there is a sense of uh, these truths counteract these lies. Yeah. That I can tell you a larger truth, a more overarching, more biblical truth, that will push this lie out, rather than if I get you off of this lie, I haven't gotten you any closer to hearing what the truth is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's not about condemning a prosperity preacher, uh, crooked as that stuff is, and 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 as much as you're tempted to Yeah, you're not it. talking about morally it's not about that. It's just functionally that's not going to do nearly as much good as planting the good seed. Exactly yeah. right. I think that's a really fantastic uh, place to start this off. And Lee, if I can get you to kind of roll with us here, because obviously maybe not all listeners do prison ministry, but most people who interact with a decent number of kind of new Christians, or as Glenn is saying, maybe people who are thinking about Christianity, there are they encounter, be it books or sermons or celebrities or something, who don't put the best face on Christianity right. or maybe don't have their theology uh, PDQs kind of light out. So, but as, as Glenn is pointing out here, one of the worst things you can do is kind of attack that because then you're attacking this person. So how do we, how do we kind of judo this into, oh, if you like so-and-so, I think you'll really dig this cool thing. And how do we make that kind of a smoother play? That's exactly, I, I love the way you asked the question, because that's the exact tactic that you want to, that you want to approach here is you want to take a potentially minefield relationship situation and turn it into a positive thing. And basically like you have to remember that with most people, and this is, this is not just new believers in Christian media, but most people with most media, when they're getting into, uh, when they're getting into stuff for the first time, it's an intimidating thing. Let's say that, let's say that like Jed was an expert in poetry. And then I, I, at a certain point decided I'm going to, look into some poetry. Well, I'm going to go to the bookstore and I'm just going to get the most famous thing that I maybe have heard of or the most promoted book, knowing that the whole thing is super intimidating. And if I go to Jed and say, hey, I'm reading this, you know, super famous poetry book. And Jed says, dude, that stuff sucks, man. Uh, mm. And I'm immediately, I immediately feel like crap. Yeah. Um, and, and not only that, but I'm probably going to be turned off not only towards Jed, but towards poetry. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you have this kind of minefield situation where a person feels intimidated. The Bible is huge. It's intimidating. The number of books that have been written about the Bible, about the life of Jesus, about ministry, I mean, there's nobody that could ever scratch the surface of reading all of them, much less deciding who decides who's solid, who's not, all that kind of, There's just so much out there. It's super intimidating. And it would be very easy to have somebody make you feel stupid about it. So... Uh, Understanding that, you know, you can approach this situation by saying to somebody, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Why don't you tell me about what you like about it and start a conversation where you yeah. make that person yeah. feel like they're teaching you something. Yeah, right. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, because what we want to do is make somebody feel comfortable, like they're getting their feet wet in the faith. And uh, knowing that, especially if you're talking with a, talking about a new believer, it's going to be pretty hard for some of that you know, super kind of fluff Christianity stuff to really do a ton of theological damage, especially mm-hmm. when you consider that the most important, uh, the, the most important kind of center as far as their theology goes 
are the face-to-face flesh and blood relationships in a church community, in a fellowship, in a Bible study, in a chapel service, whatever the case is. The other thing that I would say on this is most people, and this is not just you know new people in new situations, most people all over the place in every situation consume the specific media that they consume off of specific recommendations like a person to person. It's not just advertisements and stuff like that. But if a, a friend of mine that I trust says, dude, you got to check out this new show on Netflix. It is awesome. Well, I am extremely likely to check that out. And so what you can do to make this a positive situation is you can say, just as Matt said, just kind of asking the question, is you can say, hey, if you like that, you should really check out this person. You know, um, a lot of people pick up the books that they do at the Christian bookstore because a lot of people pay a lot of money to make those the most promoted books at the store. You know, it's the biggest, shiniest book. It's got the biggest, fattest display. They're there for the most weeks, all that kind of stuff in those prominent places. And so you can be a person who can take, you know, the same kind of entry-level understanding of theology and stuff like that, but a more solid author or more solid pastor or whatever, and introduce them to some more solid stuff. If they've never read the Bible or don't know how to study it, then go out there and look for that kind of devotional material and stuff like that. By the way, which you can find this kind of stuff on on Bridgebox, and there are years worth of, of great Bible studies that you can hand your friends on Bridgebox if you're a subscriber. And this is the kind of thing that, it's one of those deals that makes something that's super intimidating, like studying the Bible, into a much less intimidating enterprise. And that's what we want to do, is take something where a person could potentially feel stupid and make them feel not stupid, make them feel like they're part of the inner ring. Take a situation where somebody feels intimidated and put it on a platter for them. That's what we want to do to kind of change the way this feels for that person who's new at the faith. It's an absolutely great point. I really like the word Lee's using there, intimidating, because that really gets the heart of this. And it goes back to what something Glenn was saying there, that you don't really get anywhere the best ministry is not done by playing whack-a-mole with every bad idea someone has. Yeah. yeah. And Jed, I think you can speak to this uh, quite well. The part of when, what you're doing, people don't really think of it. If you're going in and talking to a person one-on-one, you're doing discipleship. Yep. It may not be long-term, it may not be hardcore, but it, pretty much any one-on-one uh, conversation you're having, someone with someone about their faith or their life and their faith is falls under what we would term discipleship ministry versus yep. uh, programmatic ministry or something like that. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot of discipleship ministry com- comes down to understanding someone's problem and what yep. it actually is. Yep. So here, I think Lee Pointer uh, put his finger right on it. Well, we don't necessarily, we don't have the problem is not that this person is reading books by theologically hinky preachers. That is a problem. Yeah. That is not the problem. Yeah. The problem appears to be they think they can't approach the Bible. Yeah. So how do we, uh, how do we A, address that, and B, how do we kind of go about in these ministry situations of thinking about addressing the underlying concern? It's a great question. So in... Really, with, with, with anybody that you're working with in a discipleship relationship, there are, there are symptoms and there are root causes. And we want to be really, really wary of focusing too hard on the symptoms. That's, that's what most people actually get caught up in. You know, I mean, you know, well, this guy cusses a lot. We should, we should fix that. Well, it, does, he, does he cuss a lot or does he have an anger problem? Right. Because you know, we can do something about the anger problem. That's right. a root cause. And that'll solve the cussing and problem. And that'll cause the, solve the cussing problem. So that's the thing we know. And if we try and solve the cussing problem without solving the anger problem, 
he's going to find some other probably less healthy way for that anger to yep. come out. So yep. we've, we've actually made it worse. So we want to focus on root causes rather than um, symptoms, but we also want to be looking, in a sense, at triage. There's more here than we can fix. Um, yes. So we want to say, what's the most damaging thing that uh, is really going on here, right? And uh, when I say damaging, I mean, what is the thing that's keeping him from a deeper walk with the Lord, him or her? What is the thing that's keeping him from a deeper walk with the Lord? What's keeping them from greater honesty and vulnerability with the Lord? And what's keeping them in really debilitating lifestyle choices? Mm-hmm. Cussing is not a debilitating lifestyle choice. Right, right. Dealing heroin is a debilitating <laughs> lifestyle choice. Right, right. You know, this is going to prevent them from living into the life that God has for them. So we have to, again, triage. We have to say, what's the thing that's really causing problems? Right. So here, you're, Matt, you're absolutely right to say that the problem isn't the books he's reading. The, the problem, that's a symptom. The problem is he feels intimidated by the Bible. But now we want to dig even deeper than that. We want to say, is that a mechanical thing, like a reading thing, just a reading comprehension thing? Mm-hmm. You know, for James, the average reading level behind bars is a third grade reading level mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, if he's trying to read anything other than the NIRV, if you're at a third grade reading level, that's going to be really hard. Right. I mean, you know, just mechanically, that's just difficult. Mm-hmm. So we want to check, is that it? Or, and that's a relatively easy fix, or is there something where you feel more intimidated by the God thing generally? Um, you feel like you don't, this isn't maybe for you, you don't really belong. Church and God and the Bible are for holy people, and you're not that. So we need something... We need a back alley we can enter through mm-hmm. and kind of get in on this thing where nobody's going to give a side eye. Mm-hmm. Because if that's where this is coming from, then that is the problem right, that right. we're dealing with. Because if we get out of jail, that's going to manifest another way. So I can't go to church because that's not for people like me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Today it's I can't really read the Bible because it's not for people like me. But tomorrow I can't really go to church because that's not for people like me. I can't talk to pastor because that's not for people like me. So I it, can't really go to God and ask him for things. I have to give him faith, and he gives me this. But that's not me dealing with him directly. Exactly right. Receiving things from him directly. That's him giving me trinkets as I go away. Exactly right. Exactly right. So if that stuff, if we, if we, and the way that we find out, the way we answer these questions is long conversation. We talk it through with this person. And and when I say we talk it through, I mean, they talk, you listen. Right. For as long as humanly possible. say, tell me more. Tell me more about that. You know, break it down. Mm -hmm. Is it more like this or more like this? You tell me. If we find that that's the thing that we're dealing with, then that's where we want to focus all of our time and attention is breaking down that lie that you're not the right guy for Christianity. That's the lie that we want to focus our time and attention on breaking down. We don't want to worry about the prosperity gospel stuff at all. We don't even need to bring that up. Um, And we want to focus as much as possible on breaking down the lie and then giving them a solid entry point into living into the idea that Christianity is for them. They're the right kind of guy for it. That may or may not be a huge focus on reading more Bible. There are actually a lot of ways, depending on the person, their reading level, their situation, there are a lot of ways that that could work out. That could be, we're going to focus on your prayer life right now. That could be, we're going to focus on Bible content and Bible stuff. That could be, we're going to focus on figuring out how do I extend love in Jesus' name to the other people around here, you know, take prayer requests and pray for other people. But we're going to custom tailor a plan to help them move forward in that specific struggle. And you're absolutely right. I think that really does kind of bow out to a lot of this stuff. Again, the the reason this stuff is popular is because a lot of people read it. A lot of people read it for the reasons Lee was pointing to, that it's, it's the most promoted, it's the most out there, it's the most easily accessible. But also, it is 
it is entry level. One of the reasons, and we I've, we've said this a couple times, but I want to reiterate it. One of the reasons that we don't tend to name check the kind of megachurch pastors or uh, book authors or whatever is because we, no matter who it is, no matter how totally bonkers, outside of, you know, just totally full-on, you know, faith healing, yabba dabba do, but anything kind of vaguely in the mainstream, we make fun of Joel Osteen and that kind of stuff. There is somebody out there, and I've gotten an email from him, said, yeah, but I, I kind of read this Joel Osteen book when I was in this weird place, and he talked a lot about Jesus loving me, and I left some of the other stuff behind, but I always felt like that was cool, so making fun of, you know, being mean about him makes me feel weird. And we hear that. The, the mm. key thing about a lot of this stuff is there's a little bit that's wrong with it. There's no doubt. And we've talked about, you know, we don't believe in eat the meat and spit out the bones and all that stuff. But for someone who's at square zero, yeah. a Joe Osteen book isn't the worst thing in the world. There's always yeah. got to point out, we want to move past that. But the way you get that isn't by telling them the thing they like now is bad, but yeah. it's kind of planting these seeds that there's, mm. there's something more, there will be bigger problems in your life. You will need something more and we can do that. One quick bonus point on that, because Matt, you're right in what you're saying. We want to be clear on what resources can do which jobs in this person's life. Yes. And, and Christians, I want, this is important. This is really, really matters. I need you to hear me on this. A book cannot disciple you. Yes, hello. Let me say that again. Please do. A book cannot disciple you. Hello. Whether it was written by Joel Osteen or it was written by Charles Spurgeon makes no difference. A right. book cannot disciple you. Yes. It doesn't have that ability. A human right. being must be the person that pastors right. you right. and disciples you, which means even if you get this guy onto better books, the role of a book is to encourage him, mm -hmm. to give him some, some positivity, particularly very early in his faith, some positivity and some encouragement. You still have to be the person, you or someone else, has mm -hmm. to be the person that disciples him regardless because a book can't do that job. And there's nothing wrong with him getting some positivity and encouragement from a book that makes him feel happy and Jesus-y and getting some good um, discipleship and insight from you along the way. That's right. This is fantastic stuff. Remember our next question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I'm a true Say That super fan. Correct. And I have a dilemma. Mm. My dad is always going on and on about refugees and immigrants mm. and how dangerous they are. And I know you guys work with crime. I want to I be clear on this. It's crime dot 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 stuff. Dot, 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 dot. Which I think is one of the best descriptions of this ministry. Yes, absolutely. We go in, you know, with the crime stuff. And I'm wondering if he has any kind of point. I don't think he does, but how would I know? First of all, uh, before we get around to the guys, uh, you're right. I will, I will preface two things. One, you're right. He doesn't have a point. We'll get into that more yeah. as we come along. But also... This is a very cool attitude. This is actually will get you very far in your faith by saying, I'm pretty sure this is how this is, but I don't know because I don't do crime stuff. Right. So I'm going to ask somebody who does crime stuff. So we we double applaud. Yes. A very cool setup of the question. And Lee, yeah. why don't you start us off with dealing with this? Well, I, I do have uh, some experience and, and some involvement with prison ministry. Nothing at all like the, the volume and the experiences these guys have had. And so... I want to defer some of some of the particulars of that question to their answers, but I want to kind of dial back and do kind of uh, kind of a zoom out issue in this question, and that is uh, just in case you don't know, it is totally cool, and you are completely allowed to declare politics a demilitarized zone in your relationship with family members. Um, if if you've never tried it before. I highly recommend it. Um, this is something that 
Like I have, I've got a particular family member. We have a great relationship. We have a lot in common. We laugh a lot. We hang out together and stuff like that. Uh, tons. But we discovered about 12 years ago, whenever we talk about this stuff, it gets heated, it gets confusing, tempers rise, and just reason goes out the window, and it's and it's just a disaster. And so we had a very frank discussion where we said, look, um, for us to be friends, we need to declare this off limits. We don't talk about politics. And I have to say that it has been awesome. I mean, we're talking 12 years of this peace treaty being completely respected by both parties, and it's been great. We have the same fun. We have all that other stuff in common. We enjoy the the sports, the whatever, and we don't get into any of this stuff. We both respect each other. We both know that we see things completely differently, and we don't bring it up at all. Um, I know this doesn't specifically go at the heart of your question, but I say this not only for you, but for a ton of folks that are listening and have this have this same problem, the same kind of deal with family members or friends or something like that. It's totally cool to set up a boundary with somebody and say, you know what? We're good friends. We love each other. We respect each other. We do not see eye to eye on this thing. Let's declare this a DMZ, demilitarized zone. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to go there. We're not going to do this at all. And um, and I think there's a there's a there's a thought out there that is like, well, if we have a real relationship, we should be able to talk about everything. And here's what I want to say to you about your family: is there are some things that with your family members, you just need to draw a boundary line and say, we're not going to go there. It doesn't mean you don't have a real relationship. It actually means you have a healthy relationship. And so this is a thing that you can do. Um, and it's a thing that I would highly recommend you doing, especially if if you're in a conversation with a family member and it feels like tempers rise and reason starts to go out the window. This is where you want to make a call and and have a, you know, and it's not an extremely comfortable conversation, but it can be respectful and it can kind of change the temperature of your whole relationship. I think that's absolutely right. It's a fantastic place to start this out. And Jed, if I can get you to pick up basically right on that point of it is okay to declare we don't talk about this. It's also okay, you don't have to do this out loud, to just in your own mind wrap your, wrap your kind of mind around this person I love has no idea what they're talking about right. in this particular yeah. uh, situation and uh, seek out people who do know what they're talking about. And this is a weird thing with parents and ch- with children and parents. There's going to come a time when you will uh, real come to things that you know are more about and are better informed about than your parents. Absolutely right. That can be a little scary because when you're, when you're a child, the whole, your whole existence in a safe world is based on the fact that these people know enough to not get you killed. Yep. Part of maturing is realizing there are some things where I know and they don't. But what's the journey of accepting that and be, having it be a respectful, content thing and not a contentious, I have to fight about it all the time thing? Very, very good question. And for our true Say That Super fan, I'm sorry that you're struggling with this. This is, this is a crappy thing to deal with. We, we all, in our own way and to varying degrees, kind of have to face this. And I'm sorry you're having to face it on this. So let's look at an example that's maybe a little bit less emotionally charged for a second. I have an auntie who I love to death. She's one of my favorite people in the world, and she believes in me, which there have been times in my life where that's been a rare attribute. (laughs) So I really treasure it. And uh, it was many years ago now, but she sits me down and she explains, Jed, you make music. You need to put your musics on the Twitters. 
Got to get on them Twitters, Jed. You got to put right. the music on the Twitters. That Katy Perry's on the Twitters. Her music's huge. Coincidence? I think not. This was her point. The Katy okay. Perry is on the Twitters doing very well. So, you, so far, I totally agree with your auntie. You are good. You should put your music on the Twitter. Facts. <laughs> now, now here's, here's the thing about that. A, I, before I do anything else, I need to evaluate what is my auntie actually saying? What mm. she's saying is, I believe in you, mm-hmm. and I love you, and I want to see you succeed. Mm-hmm. These are great things. These are it is wonderful that someone would think that about right. me. Yeah. Uh, again, there have been times in my life where very few people had that opinion, so I celebrate it. Right. To, okay, so that's, that's kind of the big picture thing. The more immediate thing is, my auntie knows nothing about digital music promotion. Right. Less than nothing. She has right. no idea how this works. She wants to help, but she doesn't really know how. She wants to help, but in the words of a great man, she's way out of her element. Right. Okay? It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. Now, what would, be, what would be weird would be if I, had, if I felt like because she's my auntie and I love her, I need to pretend that she has an expertise right. in digital media promotion. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's a little odd. Right. Obviously, I don't need to say, oh, Auntie, you have no idea what you're talking about. I don't, I don't need to say that. I say, thank you, Auntie. I appreciate that. I will look into it. And right, that's, right. that's fine. But I can, at the same time, I can love my Auntie, which I do, and know in my heart of hearts, she does not know anything about music promotion, nor would she. This is, right. not, her, this is not her field, but she, she loves me and she cares about me, and that's great. Okay, that's, mm-hmm. that's fine. It is, there's no problem saying... I love this person and they love me and I also recognize they don't know anything about this arena. That's that's fine. And we can in that example we can all see that play out. When it gets a little bit more emotionally charged, it gets difficult it gets more difficult to parse that even though the dynamic is the same. Um your dad, you haven't said anything about him, but I'm strongly guessing that he is not an experienced politician or statesman or right. statistician. Right. Um Therefore, not only is he wrong about immigrants, I'm sure Glenn will cover that in a second, but there's no, there's no reason to expect that he would have an expertise on this. Right. That, that would be, you know, if you have an uncle that um, has been an accountant his whole life and he wants to give you medical advice, that's weird. He right. doesn't know anything about that. There, there's no reason to expect that, that he would. But so giving ourselves permission to say, I love this person, they love me, but they don't know anything about this, and they, and they don't have a reason to know anything about this, that, that's an important step in maturity. And to say, I need to have an informed view on this uh, issue, it's a subject that matters, so I need to seek out people who actually do know something about right. it. That's not going to be my dad in this case mm-hmm. because he doesn't know anything about it. You know, I have sought out people who know about digital media promotion. My auntie was not on that list. She campaigned hard to be on it. She was not on right. that list. But I went and I... <laughs> to be fair to auntie, they did tell you to get on the Twitters. They did. They did say Twitter is important. Right. Um, I, I sought out those people. I learned from them. And now I, I know more than I did. And, and, and so you must do here. You must seek out people who actually do know something about this. And they know it because they're involved in it. They, right. they have studied it, they have worked in it, they have, they have been around it. And again, that's a mark of maturity, is recognizing I love them, they love me, they don't know anything about this, I need right. to find people who do, and I need to get up in that. One last point before I, I kick it back to Matt. 
you brought up there's kind of a nasty edge to it. And, and there is, and that edge is, is racism, or at the very least, xenophobia, an unjustified fear of other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, none of us want to look at people we love, none of us want to look at family members and say, my dad is a racist. Mm-hmm. None of us want to do that. So it's kind of com- more comfortable to say, maybe he's right, maybe he has a point, because that, right. that would be the, the thing. Here's, what I would, here's the box I would encourage you to put that in. If, First, the assertion that immigrants are fundamentally dangerous is xenophobic. Right. By definition, there, there yes. isn't a way around that. That's prejudicial. It, it is prejudicial that you have prejudged a situation and you have done so in a way that is counterfactual, right. as we will get into in a minute. But I think the thing that we want to ask in terms of having peace and having the right box to put this in is where is this coming from? Here's what I strongly suspect is the case for your dad. Someone, perhaps a large media conglomerate, is making him afraid. There is a force out there working overtime to make him feel afraid. And out of that fear, he is speaking. Um, Does that make the things he's saying okay? Not at all. But it does make them understandable. Um, This is not coming from a place of malice. This is not coming from Mm. your dad as a monster. This is coming from a place of fear. The truth is, if you make a person afraid, they will give themselves permission to do things that they would be horrified under any about under any other circumstances. Um, We live in a culture today, speaking of media stuff, where a big part of the media landscape is making people afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a certain political persuasion in the United States. That's their whole thing. All they do all day long is make people afraid. I would suspect that that's where your dad is coming from with this. But if we can make peace with that, that this is about fear and fear manifesting itself, that's a lot easier to live with than my dad just seems to hate people that are different than him for no reason. Right. That's absolutely right. It is. These are really great looks at kind of the underlying situation here. And Glenn, if we can directly address the problem, you've been working in crime stuff yes. for a while. So... Are immigrants inherently dangerous? No. Okay. Can you elaborate, please? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit? No. Oh, okay. Uh, here's the thing. I, I'm going to try to put as much false modesty into this as possible. There, there, there are a, a significant number of people who know more about crime than I do. Not uh, many. <laughs> there aren't many, and you don't know any of them. So, well, uh, and to put that in context, because sometimes people go, uh, you have gotten calls from like NPR and network news. Of, sure. We have a story about crime in chicago and we need to check some facts on that and they call you that's right as do Uh, politicians that's yeah (laughs) they don't listen but they do call yeah and here's the here's the thing about uh crime statistics that uh, we can say this in in as short a fashion as possible that uh uh there's a sort of an art to reading them properly so for example if you see the number of crimes have gone down in this city for example you have to look at, at the same exact time, the population of that city. If the population has gone down and crime has gone down, the number of crimes has gone down, then the crime rate might be the same. It mm. might even be worse. So uh, you, you have to look at the whole picture. And you know politicians aren't good at that. They, yeah. they just want to look at the part that benefits them. And so you'll hear people quote statistics when, when they're trying to get elected that say everything's horrible. The people who are trying to get reelected are saying everything's great. I fixed it, but they're they're f- kind of fudging those numbers both ways uh, in looking at them in a way that 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 works for them. So if I can try and give you those numbers, uh, sort of plain and unvarnished, it really boils down to this: 
native-born American people are more likely to commit crimes than immigrants. Period. The end. Yeah. The more immigrants you bring into a country, the better your crime rate is and your economy is. And every Western country in the world knows this. Yeah. And uh, and many are trying to increase the rate of immigration uh, in order to expand their economy and 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 make their country a better place. That actually is the central idea of America. So uh, the original idea uh, behind yeah. America. Sure, is a big green lady welcoming people. You're yeah. tired. You're poor. You're huddled masses. That whole thing. Uh, yeah, you're going to breathe free. You know mm. all that. So yeah. So the, the, the so. Uh, what you're looking at is a, a, our area of expertise uh, happens to be the political football yeah. that mm-hmm. really yeah. dumb people kick back and forth. And if you hear a little rage in my voice off of that, you know, I get, I I have friends uh, of mine and relatives of mine. They're in the medical profession, and if you just say the word a uh, a uh, 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 vaccine yeah. in front of them, they just lose their minds. Yeah. So, you know, they don't, you know, it's just you know. So this is a similar thing for us. Here's the thing, though. You could take to your dad the same statistics that I'm looking at and report them to him, and it wouldn't change his mind. Nuh-uh. <laughs> yeah, it, because it's so facts bum me out. I got a war yeah. on facts. Like I'm afraid. About earlier. Yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's an emotional thing. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. You got to speak to the emotions, not to the quote-unquote facts that he's rolling out. He's gathered facts and continues to gather facts that support his emotional take on things. And the, here's the thing is, when you get to a place where you say, okay, this is about em- emotions, then that is some a, a place where you can't have sympathy and understanding. That's where it, it fits mm-hmm. in. You, If he's saying something that's both a lie and not very nice, it's hard to get on the same page with that person. Yeah. But if you say, well, look, why do you, why, when you heard this, it just seemed true to you. Mm-hmm. I say stuff that doesn't agree with what you're saying and it doesn't seem true. Why is that? What is, you know, well, they're, they're taking all of our jobs. I know it feels like that. They're true. not. They're, they're not. But tell me why it feels that way. And, and, and I think the idea is to get, the narrative that they're telling themselves about their own situation. I went to school. I did my thing, and I got the grades, and I applied for the job. And now these people want to jump the line. That's a narrative. That's a mm. story. Yes, it's been fed to them most likely by somebody else. Yes, it does not jive with the facts. But it's about getting to the point of hearing that story so that you can speak to that story and say, you know, wait a second, uh, 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 y- you know, uh, other people having opportunities doesn't mean you've somehow been robbed of opportunities. Yeah. That's actually not how the world works. So now we can speak to the deeper underlying realities, and we can speak to those emotional things of, you know, you, you don't have to be afraid about this stuff. You don't have to feel concern about this stuff. Uh, it, it, you know, whatever comes our way, you can handle it, I can handle it, we can face these things together, The you know. Uh, one of our two political parties uh, had a convention, and almost every main speaker got up and said this phrase, we're at war. <laughs> okay. So it really sure. we got to take that down about five notches. Yeah. Okay. The crime rate is on a massive decline, yeah. on a 40-year decline. Uh, it, now, it's going way up in Chicago, as it yeah. turns out, at the same time, which means it's even lower everywhere else. Yeah. So, 
You're you know. welcome, America. <laughs> yeah, Chicago, so, wrecking the curve. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. Uh, I think it's about uh, going to the heart, not yeah. getting into the the back and forth of the fact. You're absolutely right. Uh, t- to that point, I will give you. We we wrote this up in the blog earlier in the week, but um, if you're in, if you if you want to have some facts just for your own peace of mind, this is the the latest. Um, report from a a government group called the Immigration Policy Center says that I quote, for every ethnic group without exception, incarceration rates among young men are lowest for immigrants. This holds true, especially for the Mexicans, Salvadoran and Guatemalan who make up the bulk of the undocumented population. That is, that's a very well-respected survey. Yeah, it is. And that's a quote from the wall street journal, which if you know much about the American media landscape is not exactly known as a liberal publication. Uh, Also very small thing to, to tack onto that. They're, they actually track this as a statistic. A certain number of people are killed by their TVs every year. Yeah. Yes. Here's the thing. You are 10 times more likely to be killed by your TV yes. than you are <laughs> by a terrorist. Yeah. So if you're watching about terrorism on TV, you yeah. should be 10 times more afraid of your of TV, your TV yes. than what's on it. Yes. Okay? Yes. So please... Get some perspective. Yes, and perspective really is the key because the other thing, other thing people try it out as well, but particularly in, in this, as we record this in kind of mid-2016, particularly with, well, Syrian immigrants pouring into Germany and Central Europe and the crime rate exploded. No, it didn't. It did yeah. not. The, the crime rate is not higher in Germany. The violent crime rate is not higher. And in both those places, native-born people are still statistically way more likely. And these are from... German studies. But I think this does go to perspective is that who's one's talking about because if you're somebody who watches a lot of cable news, there will be a thing that happens which is bad and scary. Mm-hmm. And there was a bomb that blew up. It was a terrorist organization. Right. That is bad. Yes. That is scary. That mm-hmm. is we can have all the emotions about that. But if you watch them cover that on cable news for four hours and they mention it again the next day and they keep mentioning that one until the next one happens, then it creates this, as Glenn is saying, this lack of perspective of it's happening everywhere. You know? right. It's happening all the time. Right, right, right. When we're looking at someone who, whose whole thing is fear-based, A, it's hard to argue with that, which goes to Lee's DMZ thing. You're, not gonna give, you're probably not going to give your dad enough credible crime statistics that he doesn't feel afraid of immigrants anymore. But the other thing we can, then this helps with empathy is we can use this as a reminder to look at our own life and where are we making decisions out of fear? Are there, even if it's not cable news, are there friends or pastors or books or whatever who are trying to make us afraid of certain things Mm. and act out of that? Because the whole, really the whole underlying thing of this is if someone can make you afraid enough, rational decision-making is the first thing to go. Right. And people know that. So if people are trying to make you afraid, that's not, it's not what Jesus is on. It's not what we're on. It's not what any of us want for you. All right, move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr box and it says, love means something and words matter. That is going to be the po- title of a very popular Christian book at some point. You know it is. In light of this, when should we say, quote, I love you to our significant others at engagement, at the wedding? No. After two months or six months, you'll get your turn. <laughs> Again, we, we want to be on the point of there are no dumb questions. This right. Is, this is a thing. Speaking of things that people get way overblown out of fear. Right. Yeah. Everybody has the vision of, was the, the to date myself, the Seinfeld episode, if you don't get that, I love you, return. Big matzo ball, Jerry. Pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but these are not things that can be regimented. But what's a what's a? Uh, I think what our friend is asking here, get the point of, is what what's the balance we need to find between you know 
passion and uh, being reasonable in yeah. some of this stuff. And where does that fall in relationships? And Jed, can you start us off with that? It's a great question. I'm glad that you asked. There are a lot of people that really, really amp up. You know, you got to get this exactly right or yeah, or something bad will happen. Fear! Right. Doom! Doom! Doom. <laughs> if you'll permit me, let me, let me pause on answering your direct question for just a second. Because I think if we look at a slightly different thing, it'll, it'll help to, to clear it up. Um, the question I'd like you to think about is when should you begin intentionally and progressively becoming more vulnerable with the person that you're dating? When should that happen? And the answer to that is the moment that you two decide this is anything more than just casual people hanging out. Right. Then we need to intentionally start getting progressively more vulnerable. Right. Because that's how a relationship builds. Huh. That's how that happens. I just figured that out. There is there is no yeah. way around that. A, a relationship that is not becoming more vulnerable is not growing. That's right. that's that's the thing about it. So let's not worry about I love you for a second because again right. that's a big matzo ball. We'll leave right. that we'll leave that aside. Are you comfortable? Say you've got it's you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend. You decide no, it's a it's a serious thing. We're not we're not just meeting for coffee. We're we don't know what that means, but we're you know this is there's a thing. You know, are you comfortable? saying how you feel, leave the word love out of it, just saying how you feel to this other person. For example, are you comfortable saying, I really enjoy hanging out with you. I look forward to it all day, and it's the highlight of my day or my week whenever it happens. Mm. It's almost undoubtedly true. Are you comfortable saying those words? Right. If you're not, why not? It's not not good or bad, but just why not? Is that... To go back to our emergency, is that that you're afraid of coming off as needy? Right. Is that that you don't want to come on too strong? Is that, um, you know, you're you're afraid that you'll say, I really, you know, I look forward to hanging out with you all day, and they go, oh, well, you know. I mean, it won't be reciprocated. But if we're not comfortable just being honest about our feelings generally, why not? Let's Let's get into that, because here's why this is important. Being open and honest and vulnerable in communicating is the cornerstone and the foundation of a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a healthy relationship with another human being that has no vulnerability and that does not have honest and open and ongoing communication. That's right. that's not possible. I think people have a way of looking at I love you as this gambit, this thing. Mm. We're going to throw it out there. You know, this is the ace. I keep up my, my sleeve just in case and right. see. That's the wrong way to look at it. Mm. The question is, are we growing in our ability to communicate? Are we growing in our vulnerability? Are we growing in our openness with one another? If we're working on that, I love you will happen when it happens and it will happen organically. You know, if you're, if you are mutually building trust with each other and there's a moment where you go, you know, I totally love this person. I I just, then you will sense I could say that and it will be received for I have built a trust-based relationship with this person where I share my thoughts and my feelings with them, which is, which is what a healthy relationship is. I think what should be a concern to you would be if you've been dating someone for six months and you say, you know, if I said, I love you, I don't know if it, if they, you know, uh, hit that back to me, that should concern you. Not because of anything to do with I love you, but because that points to a relationship where we need more communication and we need more openness and we need more vulnerability. Mm -hmm. As an example, there are exceptions to everything. But as an example, if you're thinking about proposing to someone and you're not certain what their answer will be, (laughs) this is a major red flag, friend. Um, 
that's not about proposing. In, this, in the case of your question, it's not about you know saying I love you, but it is about a relationship where we don't know each other, where there's not that trust and that openness and that vulnerability. Uh, God wants that for you. We want that for you. And I think that's the way forward to get us started. I think you're absolutely right. This does come down on some level to vulnerability. That's certainly the thing. But there, I do, I do really appreciate our friend's assertion here that words matter. Right. Because one of the... Uh, when we're when the three of us in Chicago are up here having a bite to eat late at night and ranting about certain things, one of the things I will occasionally just scream into the void, the top of my lungs about other things is words have meanings. Yeah, right. Yes, right. that's kind of how that's the whole point of words mm-hmm. to convey a specific thing. I think maybe one of the things where 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 we're the language is at a loss here is love means a ton of different things. Yeah, right, so right. and Glenn, if I can get you to speak to on some level, I think. We're looking at two things, two, as uh, we often talk about the show, left and right limits. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, um, don't, don't say it on the first date. I think right. we can comfortably say that. That's Even if you feel it, just why don't you slow play that for a little while. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other side, which, but that doesn't mean that hold, that waiting on it is a virtue. So where right. do we, when it's not really that one side is wrong and one side is right or mm. vice versa, how do we kind of find a healthy way forward in those kind of situations? Well, yeah, I think it, it really does. It, it really is about having the best quality communication that you can have. So if you, if you thought to yourself, I really love this person on the first date, what you're really thinking is, I feel like I love this person. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit soon to tell. Yeah. you know that's you know I have really strong feelings really early. Also, we had a very lot of strong chemistry. feelings about the way they yeah. looked in them pants. Yeah, that's right. So there's nothing wrong on the first date of saying, you know, I think I might really be falling for you because man, I mean, I just I feel you're amazing. This is a gr- I'm having a lot of fun and you're wonderful and this is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure. That's it, so I think some of it is kind of being a bit self-aware and being, yeah. being able to understand how to communicate those things. But a, a certain amount of this is a is a coming from a place of fear, not not unlike what we were talking about in the previous episode. And I think uh, fear will get you swinging between those yeah. extremes. Uh, you know, where you are too afraid to say it, and then you end up being afraid that you've waited too long to say it, yeah. and then you're afraid of what she'll say. If you say it, she doesn't say it back. It's all, it's, that's all madness. And it all, uh, the, the, the Christian dating books all play on this. I've heard this many times from people who've read The Kiss, The Dating Goodbye and all that, that this is progressing too fast and you should save everything sure. for marriage. And if you're emotionally married to someone, whatever, <laughs> If you're emotionally married to somebody, is there like a is that like a separate box at the Justice of the Peace, the emotional marriage certificate? Yeah, yes. exactly right. This is made up weirdo nonsense. It's not in the Bible, and the dude who wrote it has completely backing away from it. So, uh, I think what it leaves us with is trying to figure out. Here's the thing that we're trying to tell you: a lack of communication, a lack of vulnerability, is what kills yep. relationships. Yep. If you have it in your mind, I'm I'm really doing this thing to the max by holding inside of myself affection and vulnerability. No, you're not. <laughs> Gee whiz, dude. <laughs> we got to go back to the very beginning. Because yeah. as Jed said, vulnerability is the substance of relationships. As Matt is pointing out, 
I think you have to learn how to express that in a way that doesn't sound psycho. Yeah, that's you know, <laughs> the basic uh, thing of life. You know, you don't. You, if you're really glad you have a job, you don't go in and say to your boss, "I love you, man. I just and you know, I just really, really love you." Uh, I feel like I just want to be with you forever. I, I'd like for us to get an apartment together. You yeah, know, there's a point where it just becomes a little bit, you know, uh, uh, creepy and whatever. But it, it, there's there's a way to express that that is honest and transparent, but it's also communicating in a slightly more sane sounding way. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, hey, I I really love this job. I really appreciate it. I feel a real bond with everybody here, and I feel mm-hmm. excited to be here. That kind of a thing. So it's the same thing on on the dating side of thing. Finding ways of communicating that are very honest, very transparent, very vulnerable, uh, but are expressing that in a way where uh, you're uh, you're doing the best job of orienting the person to where you are, as yeah. opposed to um, sort of flinging out any random emotional thought that crosses yeah. your mind. If that. If that helps give sort of left and right limits, that's yeah, absolutely. I think that it. that level of thinking it through is very important to this, and not counter to um, a, a life of romance either. The idea right. that um, we have emotion on one hand and thought on the other, and they pollute each other, is sure. uh, not the right. healthiest way to look at life. Right. And Lee, obviously, you do a lot of work with kind of uh, high school kids, college kids, people looking to get married. I think one of the things that the big, as we talked about fear in the last question, that um, where fear is the informing of this is not even the what if I say I love you and they don't say it back? Because that's this whole thing. But I think maybe even a bigger one for some people is, what if I, what if I say I love you and then we don't end up getting married? Was it all a lie, man? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what, how do we kind of deal with this thing as w- people who are at stage in life where they're kind of learning what that means as they go? Like, what are the actual harmful things we want to avoid versus the things that just seem like yeah. a big deal that when you're actually yeah, 35 and married, you're not going to be thinking about, oh, God, that one time I told Sarah I love her. I hope that... Doesn't somehow, re- doesn't somehow retroactively va- invalidate my current marriage. Well, I think Doom! That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's a really good way to say it. It's it's a really good way to ask the question. I think uh, ha- having spent a lot of time working with young people and uh, a lot of them in high school, um, and and then and then watching them have relationships in college and after, one of the funny things that happens is that they, to Jed's point, to Glenn's point. Nobody knows what this word means, and nobody knows yeah. what we mean by it. So when when we say it, what does that mean about our relationship now? So if, you know, like, f- for instance, and it's super sad that it's this way, but in a high school relationship, somebody drops the L word, well, now everything's on the table. Sex is on the table, and, yeah. uh, you know, because, well, because, you know, and I mean, that's that's where we're saving sex for, right? Somebody that we love. Um, we also define, you know, if exactly as Glenn's saying, you, you hang out with somebody, you have a great conversation, there's all this chemistry and a lot of attraction and stuff like that. And so I think I love you. And I don't even know what that means. And yeah. I think we we suffer a lot from people having no confidence in looking a human being in the eye and saying, Hey, I'm scared of uh, this relationship for these reasons. Uh, yeah. I just got out of a tough thing before. I felt a lot of stuff. I'm feeling a lot of sim- similar things now. Um, I don't want to get hurt in these ways. Can we have an honest conversation about expectations and 
uh, and some boundaries, not just even physical boundaries, but I'm talking conversational boundaries, that kind of stuff. These are things that young people simply do not do. They don't do it. They, they do not engage in this kind of activity at all. And this, exactly to Glenn's point, exactly to Jed's point, this is where we need to grow the most in <clears throat> having conversations with people that we're interested in, people that we're dating, that, you know, as the relationship gets more serious and everything like that, having actual human conversations face-to-face, eye-to-eye, where we're watching this person and saying, Look, you said this, and it made me feel all of these things. What did you mean by that? You know, these are the kinds of conversations. One, if you don't know that you're going to be having for the rest of your life once you actually do get married. And so we have to have those now. Because what happens is a lot of people who – there are people that do – use, you know, the L word and stuff like that to manipulate people. I mean, and so when you're looking at what are the actual things to be scared of out there? Well, if you're not having conversations about expectations, honest conversations about where you're hurting, where you've been burned in the past, what you're worried about going forward, if you're not having those kinds of conversations, you are opening yourself up to getting hurt by some of this kind of stuff. And that's not just blowing smoke and give you something to be afraid of. It's, it's intended to be a motivator. It's intended to be a motivator of saying, look, this is what we need to get good at. Using words that are meaningful about expectations, about boundaries, about feelings, having lots of words, having back and forth, doing that face to face, not over the text message machine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having this, you know, I feel like I want to tell you I love you. And maybe by that, I just mean that I think you're really cute and it's super easy to talk to you. And we like know all the same lyrics from, you know, hip hop songs from the nineties. I don't even know how we work that out. It's just, I love being around you. Um, maybe we mean that, you know, that if that's what you think you mean, say all of those words, right? Yes. This is all we're saying. Whatever you mean by something, say those words, say that thing. And then we can talk about, and this is what I expect. And this is where I've been let down before. This is where, you know, we mix the vulnerability with all of the things that we're feeling. And and that's where we can shield ourselves from some of the things that there actually are, uh, you know, we actually do have to be afraid of. And we make them not scary anymore when we're willing to engage in those conversations and really define this stuff. Because, I mean, it's it's kind of dumb. The English language, we only have one word for this. And people mean tons of things by it. I love ice cream. I love Cheetos. I love the Miami Dolphins. I also love you. Well, I don't know what any of that means. So we just have to be comfortable using the words. That's a pretty good analogy. Uh, I love only, lamp. Well, the only thing that the only place it falls down is no one loves the Miami Dolphins. Well, that's, that's really that. true. <laughs> that's a fair just... point. Jed, one more thing. I love everything Lee said. That's fantastic. That's just right. I want to underscore that for a second. You've heard these words before, but given what we're looking at, I want to read to you the standard wedding vow that you use in in most churches. I, Bob, take you, Nancy, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do us part. There's a couple things about that. First, love doesn't come up. There are wedding vows that use that word, but the standard one actually almost acknowledges the fact that love has a weird meaning. It's not in there. That's thing one. Thing two is it's hyper-specific. It's saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's how it's going to work. Here are the the limitations on it. Here here are the things. You've heard people basically say, if you say you love someone, that's like being married. No, it's not. Right. 
Being married is like being married. Right. right. Dating There's and paperwork marriage, and everything, so you can't do it accidentally. Uh, dating and marriage are not the same thing. Don't let anybody tell you different on that. That's thing one. But thing two is, it is far more vulnerable to say to a person, here's, a, as Lee's saying, here's a specific expectation that I have that I want to see happen than to say the L word and to say I love you. Mm-hmm. We currently hang out twice a week. I want to spend more time with you than that. I think we should hang out three times a week. Right. Being specific. Because here's the great thing about that. A, that gives the other person something to respond to. If they look at that and say, sounds great to me, let's do it. Fantastic. Now we're hanging out three times a week. If you say that and they say, no, I think... Uh, Gonna hold. I think, I think two's good. Fan pat. I think, yeah. I think two's good. Well, that actually gives you actionable information right, about right. where this relationship is. Most dating problems come down to as Lee is saying, unmet expectations, but they're unmet principally because they're unstated. That's right. People are not being specific about these are the things that I want to do. Mm. I I want the nature of our relationship to look like this. We hang out this often. We have this level of exclusivity. We do these kinds of activities. Exactly. We we share these interests in common. We serve each other in these specific ways. Mm. I show up for your intramural soccer games. Mm. You show up for my meeting, blah, blah, blah. When we have problems, most most of the time, it's because we have not met, and because we haven't met, we haven't stated the expectations that we have for each other. That's the far harder, more vulnerable thing than just saying, I yep. love you, and that's the stuff you want to work on. I think that's absolutely right. I think this this is all really good stuff, and it does kind of take us back to what our uh, where our friend opened the question with, uh, words matter. I think if there's anything that ties together kind of all three of the questions we looked at tonight is that um, when it comes to relational stuff, specificity is always better. Yeah, You can't yeah. shortcut it. Uh, you can't shortcut it in discipleship ministries. You can't shortcut it in tough conversations you're trying to have with your friends and family members. You can't sh- shortcut it in romantic relationships. I think one of the pro- as Lee's pointing out with young people, one of the pro- big problems with the whole "I love you" thing is people uh, of a certain maturity level try to use that as a shortcut to yep. that's right. Now we are in a serious relationship, and I have these sort of feelings. They try to kind of uh, it's quicker to just use this one word and shovel and kind of shovel all that into that no important relationship and no important undertaking is served by I want to be less specific and quicker <laughs> in communicating these kind of things. It's really not how that works. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, chicago.tumblr.com. You can remember, you can check out the bridge podcast. That's sermons and music from our bridge service every Monday. You can check out the bridge loud. That's the audio from our radio show Ooh. on QRock 100.7. That comes out every Friday. We're going to take out the song from bridge box this week. That, Talks to a lot of this stuff. I mean, we're looking at, again, this month in Bridgewater, we're looking at How Do I Change the World. This is a worship song that Lee wrote. It's kind of a big, fun worship song uh, sung by a friend called Clark Vickery, which uh, speaks yeah. to. Uh, the way you do that is by actually specifically following Jesus. I guess back to what we're talking about in this episode of this is not in a general way. This is not in a shortcutty way. This is specifically Jesus has a thing for you. He has a plan for you that is detailed and minute, and he wants you to follow him step by step. And now we're going to take out that. Thanks for listening to this. Remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about 93% of babies surveyed by monkeys agree. No emojis. Just ask this person out. (laughs) (laughs) What did you make me for? What are you calling? I go there with
I wanna fall